Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MetaBullet Step 1 podcast. In today's episode, we covered the topic of Bacillus anthracis found under the microbiology section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 35-year-old woman presents to the emergency room for an ulcer on her arm. She reports that she recently completed a travel program in Africa, where she worked on the farms in exchange for room and board. She reports coming into contact with farm animals every day. She said she accidentally cut her left forearm on some wooden posts a few days ago. Yesterday, she noticed a painless but pruritic lesion. On physical exam, there is a 4mm papule with a dusky-looking central vesicle and surrounding edema. There is also axillary lymphadenopathy. She has started on antibiotics. Let's continue with an introduction to bacillus anthracis. In terms of the classification of bacillus anthracis, remember that it is a spore and exotoxin-forming gram-positive rod. The capsule protects against phagocytosis, and it is the only bacteria with a polypeptide capsule, which is made of polydeglutamate. It may be transmitted by inhalation of spores, introduction of spores into a skin break, or ingestion of spores. In terms of the epidemiology, it is more common in areas where animal vaccination rates are low, and it may result from bioterrorism. Risk factors include intravenous drug use such as heroin, occupational exposure to unvaccinated animals, and occupational exposure to animal hinds. In terms of the pathogenesis, the anthrax toxin is composed of three components. The protective antigen binds to cell surfaces and mediates entry of edema and lethal factor. The edema factor binds to calmodulin and performs the same function as adenylate cyclase, so it increases cyclic AMP and it results in a black eschar with edematous borders, as well as vasodilation and hypotension. The lethal factor is a protease that cleaves the amino terminus of mitogen-activated protein kinase kinases, or MAPKK, inhibiting the signaling pathway, and it results in macrophage apoptosis. Also remember that infection may spread via lymphatics. Conditions that are associated include cutaneous anthrax, which is most common, pulmonary anthrax, also known as wool sorter's disease, and gastrointestinal anthrax. In terms of prevention, post-exposure prophylaxis consists of three doses of the anthrax vaccine and 60 days of a single antibiotic. Remember that ciprofloxacin or doxycycline are first line. In terms of the prognosis, there is a biphasic nature of pulmonary anthrax. There are prodromal symptoms and then the fulminant bacteremic phase, which often leads to death within days. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms of pulmonary anthrax include flu-like syndrome with a non-productive cough, nausea and vomiting, hemoptysis, and chest pain. Symptoms of gastrointestinal anthrax may include nausea and vomiting, dysentery, and abdominal pain. On exam in cutaneous anthrax, one may note an initial lesion, which is a painless and pruritic papule with a central vesicle or bulla. This may progress to a painless and necrotic black eschar surrounded by edema, and remember that the eschar sloughs off at day 14. In pulmonary anthrax, one may note mediastinitis, shock, hypoxia, and dyspnea. There may also be lymphadenopathy. In terms of further imaging, Chest radiography is indicated for pulmonary anthrax. Specific findings may include a pleural effusion, 
pulmonary consolidation, and a widened mediastinum. In terms of further studies, there are multiple methods of detection. There may be the Medusa head appearance on microscopy, which is a halo of projections. One can obtain a culture of blood, pleural fluid, or eschar, a positive gram stain of the affected tissue. One can perform a polymerase chain reaction. One can also evaluate an anti-protective antigen immunoglobulin G on an enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay, or one can perform a biopsy with immunohistochemistry staining. Also remember that one may note marked hemoconcentration. And when making the diagnosis, most cases are diagnosed clinically, but they may be confirmed with a positive culture, serology, or immunohistochemistry, as well as detection of bacillus anthracis DNA in the tissue. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about community-acquired pneumonia, with the distinguishing factor being that this is less likely to cause nausea, vomiting, pallor, or unexplained mediastinal widening on chest radiography. And in terms of treatment, remember that for the management approach, antibiotics should be given in the prodromal phase of the disease. Cutaneous anthrax can be treated with one antibiotic. Systemic anthrax should be treated with two antibiotics. Medical options include ciprofloxacin or doxycycline. This is indicated in all patients. Another option is a protein synthesis inhibitor. This is indicated for systemic anthrax and is combination therapy with fluoroquinolone or doxycycline. Its mechanism is that it reduces the toxin production. Specific drugs include clindamycin and linazolid. Another option is antitoxins. This is also indicated in all patients. Specific drugs include monoclonal antibodies such as raxibacumab or anthrax immunoglobulin. And lastly, complications may include bacteremia from cutaneous anthrax as well as death. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to bacillus anthracis, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 45-year-old man is brought to the emergency department for shortness of breath and fever. The patient reports having flu-like symptoms, including chills, fatigue, fever, and a cough about a week ago. However, the patient reports worsening dyspnea with some hemoptysis over the past two days. He denies any recent sick contacts, and no one living with him has similar symptoms. He works at a wool mill and denies any tobacco or alcohol use. On physical exam, the patient appears to be in respiratory distress with accessory muscle usage. The patient's temperature is 101.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 38.6 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 90 over 50. Pulse is 110 beats per minute. Respirations are 31 breaths per minute. And pulse oximetry is 87%. The patient is subsequently started on intravenous fluids and supplemental oxygen. A chest radiograph is obtained, which demonstrates mediastinal widening in a left pleural effusion. At the emergency department, the patient continues to decompensate and he is intubated. Five days later, the patient dies in the intensive care unit. What is the mechanism of a toxin produced by the likely organism in this patient's disease? And the answer choices are, choice one, activation of T cells and stimulation of inflammatory cytokines. Choice two, cleavage of snare proteins. Choice three, damage to the cilia of the respiratory epithelium. 
Choice 4. Inactivation of elongation factor 2 by ADP ribosylation. Or choice 5. Increases intracellular cyclic AMP, leading to edema. The best answer to this question is choice 5. Increases intracellular cyclic AMP, leading to edema. The patient likely has inhalation anthrax demonstrated by his initial prodromal symptoms such as chills and fever, followed by a rapidly fulminant bacteremic phase such as shock, hypoxemia, and severe dyspnea, chest radiograph findings of a widened mediastinum, and eventual death in the setting of wool exposure. Edema factor is a toxin produced by bacillus anthracis, and it functions as an adenylate cyclase, which increases intracellular cyclic AMP and leads to edema. Bacillus anthracis is a gram-positive encapsulated bacteria that manifests as three distinct presentations, cutaneous, inhalational, and gastrointestinal. Bacillus anthracis is relatively uncommon in the United States, though most cases occur in individuals with exposures to animal products, such as those working in wool mills. The bacteria produce two toxins, edema factor and lethal factor. The edema factor functions as adenylate cyclase and increases intracellular cyclic AMP, which leads to edema and indirectly prevents phagocytosis. The lethal factor acts as a protease and cleaves MAP kinase, which ultimately leads to tissue necrosis. Inhalational anthrax results from inhaling bacillus anthracis spores, which are subsequently deposited at the alveolar ducts or alveoli. The incubation period lasts around one to seven days and initially presents with nonspecific prodromal symptoms, including myalgia, fever, malaise, cough, hemoptysis, and dyspnea that may be difficult to distinguish from influenza. The fulminant phase follows the prodromal symptoms, which usually last four to five days, and is characterized by progressive respiratory symptoms, including severe dyspnea, hypoxemia, and shock. Death often follows within a couple of days, though early antibiotic treatment has been shown to improve outcomes. Chest imaging often reveals widening of the mediastinum, secondary to hemorrhagic mediastinitis, which is a classic finding of inhalational anthrax. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Activation of T-cells in stimulation of inflammatory cytokine production describes streptococcus pyogenic exotoxin, which is secreted by strains of streptococcus pyogenes. The toxin damages the plasma membranes of blood capillaries and produces the characteristic red skin rash seen in scarlet fever. This patient does not have a rash and is presenting with respiratory symptoms. Choice 2. Cleavage of the snare protein is the mechanism of action of tetanus toxin secreted by clostridium tetany. The toxin acts as a protease that cleaves snare, which subsequently inhibits the exocytosis of inhibitory GABA and glycine neurotransmitters into the synapse, leading to spastic paralysis. The patient does not have symptoms suggestive of tetanus. Choice 3. Damage to the cilia of the respiratory epithelium describes tracheal toxin, which is part of the peptidoglycan wall of Bordetella pertussis. Patients classically present with nonspecific symptoms such as conjunctival injection, followed by the characteristic whooping cough. Choice 4. Inactivation of elongation factor 2 
by ADP ribosylation describes exotoxin A secreted by Pseudomonas aeruginosa. The exotoxin inhibits protein synthesis and causes cell death. Although the bacteria is known to cause nosocomial pneumonia, this patient does not have any history of prior hospitalizations. In addition, his chest radiograph demonstrated characteristic findings of inhalational anthrax. Finally, a bullet summary. Edema factor is a toxin produced by Bacillus anthracis, and it works by increasing intracellular cyclic AMP, leading to edema. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 37-year-old man comes to the emergency department with the chief complaint of a high fever for several days. In addition to the fever, he has had malaise, chest pain, and a dry cough. He recently went on vacation to South America, but has returned to do his job delivering packages. He has several friends who recently had influenza. His temperature is 102.8 degrees Fahrenheit, or 39.3 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 137 over 80. Pulse is 104 beats per minute. Respirations are 19 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98%. Chest exam reveals a deep noise found bilaterally in the lung bases. Chest radiograph reveals a widened mediastinum and bilateral lung infiltrates. Which of the following is characteristic of the most likely organism responsible for this patient's symptoms? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Captain's wheel appearance Choice 2. Cultured on charcoal and yeast Choice 3. Deglutamate capsule Choice 4. Found in the desert sand Or Choice 5. Polyribosyl phosphate capsule The best answer to this question is Choice 3. Deglutamate capsule this patient with fever and cough, the findings of bilateral ronchi, and a widened mediastinum most likely was exposed to pulmonary anthrax during his delivery work. Bacillus anthracis has a characteristic D-glutamate-containing capsule. Pulmonary anthrax is caused by the inhalation of infectious spores and initially causes a flu-like illness. These spores can be transported on the wool of infected animals or in postal deliveries when used as a mechanism of biological terrorism. It is important to recognize the molecular structure of Bacillus anthracis, which is a gram-positive encapsulated boxcar-like bacteria. It is also the only major infectious bacteria that has a capsule that is composed of poly-D glutamate. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Paracoxidioides brasiliensis has a captain's wheel appearance and can cause pneumonia in patients who visit South America. However, it would not lead to widening of the mediastinum. Choice 2. Legionella pneumophila must be cultured on charcoal and yeast. Though Legionella can also cause pneumonia, it does not lead to widening of the mediastinum and it also results in hyponatremia and elevation of liver enzymes. Choice 4. Coxidioides immidus is found in desert sand and can cause a mild pneumonia that is able to disseminate to skin and bone. It would not lead to the high fever and widening of the mediastinum that is found in this case. Choice 5. Polyribosyl phosphate comprises the capsule of Haemophilus influenza. Haemophilus can cause epiglottitis or pneumonia. However, it would not lead to widening of the mediastinum. 
Finally, a bullet summary. Severe pneumonia with the widened mediastinum is indicative of inhalation of spores from Bacillus anthracis, which characteristically has a capsule composed of polydeglutamate. That's all for this review about Bacillus anthracis. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 1 podcast.